It's Monday, August 27th, and this is The Daily Dive. The country has lost a war hero, a statesman, and a patriot who lived his life in service to his country. Senator John McCain has died at the age of 81 after a year-long battle with brain cancer. He will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol, becoming just the 31st person to receive the honor. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to talk about John McCain's love of country, his political legacy, and how the party changes now that he has passed. Next, fake news has had its moment, and now it's time for Fake News 2.0. Industrial-scale creators of fake news are becoming increasingly savvy in their efforts to avoid being caught by new web detection tools and defensive AI. Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios, joins us to talk about how the tactics that bad actors are using have changed and new technologies that they are taking advantage of. Finally, one company is trying to turn deepfake technology into a new business model. Deepfakes are a new image manipulation technology where artificial intelligence learns to mimic based on the data it's given, whether it be photos or videos. In this case, a porn company is letting its subscribers put themselves into adult videos with deepfake tech. Matt Bender, reporter for Mashable, joins us to talk about whether this new business model is about to take off. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm the luckiest guy on earth. I have served America's cause, the cause of our security and the security of our friends, the cause of freedom and equal justice all my adult life. With all our flaws, all our mistakes, with all the frailties of human nature, as much on display as our virtues, with all the rancor and anger of our politics, we are blessed. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Senator John McCain has passed from brain cancer. He was 81 years old. He was surrounded by family and friends. The latest news right now that we're learning is that Mitch McConnell and other congressional leaders announced that he will be lying in state at the U.S. Capitol to allow the public to pay the respects. What else do we know, Ginger? That's right. He will lie in state in the rotunda, the center of the Capitol, an honor that is reserved for a very small number of American dignitaries to have died. Only a handful are given that recognition. We know that after he lies in state in the rotunda, he will be buried in Annapolis, where the Naval Academy is as part of the Naval Cemetery there. This is going to be undoubtedly a very public showing of mourning for really a a man who was an elder statesman in America after representing Arizona in the United States Senate for over 30 years, having been a prisoner of war in Vietnam and a a presidential contender and a real voice in American politics and American life where he wasn't afraid to say what he thought and he wasn't afraid to tell people that he thought they were wrong. And that made him stand out among politicians in, in our country. And really, I mean, a figure all the way until the end, one of his last acts was voting down the health care bill that President Trump was trying to push through. And it really caused a little bit of angst between the president and John McCain. And, you know, that was one of the last major things that he had a, an impact on. One of the last votes he took was voting against repealing the Affordable Care Act or the Obamacare, as it has come to be known. Also crafting the last defense authorization bill, which was named after him, the John McCain piece of legislation, now law. President Trump and John McCain did not get along for a long time. McCain was critical of him both while he was running and after he took office. And President Trump doesn't take well to being criticized and has sort of the two never really rectified that we have 
have not seen the president be critical of John McCain after his death. He did tweet his condolences, although everything that he has said has been very curt, not very flattering of the senator. There was reports several months ago that the president had been told he would not be asked to speak at John McCain's funeral. We will find out if that is true when the funeral uh, arrangements are made public in the next week. We all know the story of John McCain and his time in captivity. It was 1967. He was in a bombing raid over Hanoi. The plane was shot down. When he exited the plane, he broke both arms. One of his knees was broken. He was captured, tortured. The story is incredible. He was offered early release, but based on principle, he said, no, there's a rule where you're supposed to be released in the order that you were captured. And he stayed and he endured more torture and more torture. And it really changed his life at that point. You know, he said he fell in love with his country and it was when I was a prisoner in someone else's that I really began a new appreciation and a new love for my own country. So that was always something that stuck with him and it, it changed his life and it, it propelled him into the political career that he had. That's right. He was offered to be released as a prisoner of war in Vietnam before other prisoners that were being held along with him because his father was an, a high ranking official in the U.S. military. He said that he would not take that early release, that he would continue to remain a captive. And, you know, that's what really was at his core. He didn't get some special privilege that he wasn't being ascribed some special access, but that he was going to do what was right. And it really carried into his time in the Senate that, you know, he was not there to get the fluffy perks of being United States senator, but to get and do what he thought was right for the country. What's going to be his political legacy? The New Yorker had a, a headline that said, you know, it was the end of romantic conservatism and things are going to change. You know, he was one of these last people that was trying to stick to conservative principles. And now in the era of Trump, it's things have changed. So Paul Ryan, all these other guys are out. And with the passing of John McCain, I just feel like the party is going to change even more. I think you're right. John McCain's legacy will obviously be that. I'm a bit of a hawk. He was pretty aggressive when it came to military action, and that was something his opponents were critical of, but consistent in that principle. It wasn't that he was only holding that opinion when it was politically favorable to him. And that's really what describes his legacy. He was a conservative. He did ascribe conservative principles, but he also thought that there was honor and respect that was needed in office. That was some of his criticism of Ted Cruz when Ted Cruz came into the United States Senate. And I think that you're right. We are really at a point where there's a lot of particularly conservatives asking themselves, what the future of their party looks like. Will there be more John McCain's or more Donald Trump's going forward? And I think that the party is having a test. They're having a test right now in these elections to answer that question. And they're going to have a test again in 2020 and 2022 and 2024 to answer that question. I had the privilege of covering him in the United States Senate, of getting to spend time with him getting to know him. He was very open with reporters, which often meant there was a mob of reporters around him, but <laughs> right. sometimes meant that we got some alone time with him. And, and I did as well. And it was truly an honor to know and to have covered him. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We removed more than 650 pages, groups, and accounts for coordinated, inauthentic behavior on Facebook and Instagram. These were networks of accounts that were misleading people about who they were and what they were doing. And we banned this kind of behavior because authenticity matters. Joining us now is Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios. We just had news that Microsoft had seized six potential phishing domains associated with the hackers Fancy Bear who are 
related to the Russian election hacking in 2016 of the United States. They targeted these six domains that registered URLs that were similar to what the real ones were in an attempt to get you to click on it, give them some info, and then boom, they hacked you. It proves that this fake news thing is really still ongoing, but we've moved into the notion of fake news 2.0. The propaganda war is getting much more sophisticated. What are we looking at, Sarah? Yeah, it is getting a lot more sophisticated. I mean, the news of the past in 2016 was bad actors are going to try to create fake news or create fake stories, and they're going to do it in a kind of obvious way because they didn't have to hide themselves. Platforms weren't paying attention. But now there is a huge rise and attention that's being placed on fake news and misinformation. And so what they're trying to do is evolve their tactics so that they can go undetected. And one of the ways they do this is installing malware through phishing scans onto different people's devices so that they can either hack their accounts or that they can, quite frankly, hack domains. If you take a look at what fake news looked like in 2016, there's a lot of angry posts of people screaming insidious language. But now it's more tempered. They're trying to mimic the way that real humans communicate. And so, one, it's reflective of the actual words in the conversations, but two, they're trying to mimic the communication habits of the actual people. And an example that they would have made in the past that they're not trying to make anymore would be they would have a group of bots deploy the exact same message verbatim across many different accounts. Well, that's pretty rare, right? You wouldn't have thousands of humans do the exact same tweet at the exact same time. Right. Yeah. So now they're trying to use more sophisticated tactics, like changing up the wording in different tweets and posts and posting them at different times and also posting them within time frames that are adequate to the rep- people that they're representing. If they're trying to mimic a American user, but they're posting things at Russian time, which is 2.30 in the morning for us, those are things that make it look a little suspicious. Yeah, and they're using things like TweetDeck. I mean, we use those things for our show specifically, just an alert, hey, check out the podcast and whatnot. But they're using these things to schedule those attacks. It comes to show that almost any internet tool can and will be weaponized. If it's something that we use on a day-to-day basis that was built for good, that was built to help track communications, help businesses and newsrooms, expect that type of communication or that type of tool to be used by bad actors to manipulate the system. And so what does that mean for us? Does that mean we should be shutting down these types of tools? Absolutely not. It just means that we have to be more discerning about how and what the vulnerabilities are on them so that we can be more aware when they're, quite frankly, being abused. It's so tough. It makes you feel like you can't trust anything now. It seems that the fake news stuff has kind of infiltrated all of our social media. It makes it a little more dangerous when the president calls legitimate news sources fake news because they're kind of different. This is organized efforts to influence public perception of topics when the president is kind of railing against bad publicity or negative news stories about him. Some of these tactics that they're using, they're called commandeering, where they're trying to hijack real targets, real people, and use those things instead. So it's tough to find out who's real, who's not. It's so hard to find out. And as they're becoming more sophisticated, those lines are only going to be blurred. But to your point about the president, when a lot of people think about fake news, that term has become so loaded. For some people, it can be news that they just don't agree with. That's often the case with the president when he calls a report that he doesn't like fake news. But a lot of times it can be false commercialization or actors that are trying to bait you into clicking something that is not what it appears so that they can either so discord and confuse you or so that they can game whatever algorithm it is to make money. 
the bottom line is that they're doing a lot more than what they were doing. If you remember, Mark Zuckerberg said that you would be crazy to think that Facebook had any role in spreading fake news or misinformation during the 2016 election. Now he's on press tours apologizing for it. Facebook's changing their policies. So we know that they're taking it a lot more seriously. But I think the true bottom line is that there's a good outcome here and as a bad. The good is that the platform and others are just more discerning about this stuff. There's more attention and there's more research. But the bad is that a lot of the groundwork has already been laid for these bad actors to continue their bad actions. So a lot of them have already penetrated systems. A lot of them have already come up with tested messages that they seek to employ further on down the election cycle. And so in order to stay on top of it, again, we just have to be vigilant. Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. If you're an Audio America subscriber, you can pay to customize your favorite film scene or get a completely customized new scene film. And you can provide your own likeness, your own images, and they will use this technology to superimpose your image on top of one of the actors. Joining us now is Matt Bender, reporter for Mashable. So you might have seen this thing called deep fakes. It's an image manipulation technology of basically put somebody else's face on somebody else's body. You can you can see it sometimes on a Snapchat filter with things like face swap. So people have a lot of fun with these. It didn't take very long for it to turn into some type of online harassment tool, people doing revenge porn. But now there's a porn company called Naughty America, which is trying to use this deep fake technology to edit themselves into porn films. Matt, tell us about what deepfakes are a little more in depth, and then let's get into this whole thing with Naughty America. Deepfakes blew up online specifically because of just exactly how easy it was to create what amounts to an image manipulation. What's basically going on is that deepfakes stands for pretty much the deep is for deep learning and fakes for obviously the faked images. And what deep learning is, it's the way where artificial intelligence, to simply put it, artificial intelligence is basically looking at these videos and it's studying what it sees. It's digesting the data and understanding the movements and what you're, what it's seeing. And that way it can, when you hand it the photos you want it to superimpose onto the video, it understands what it needs to do with these photos. It's basically like a, an automated way to edit these films. Previously, you would open up Final Cut or Premiere and have to drop in an image and track it to the video and do other sorts of editing to the image to make it wrap around or rotate or move with the video. But with this technology, what's going on is the software, the AI is doing this on its own by studying the video and learning what it needs to do. And early on, people were having a lot of fun with it. They'd put, I think one of the ones that I saw most was uh, using Nicolas Cage's face and then putting him in all sorts of different movies. So everybody was having a lot of fun with it at that, at that point. But now this porn company, they're called Naughty America. They want to use this to make a new business model out of it. And they want to allow the consumer to put themselves in the film, put your own face on a, a porn actor or actress's body and then have fun with it, I guess. It makes you feel like you're part of the situation going on. This is an example of a good use of it because the, the a, a bad use is like we, we were saying before for revenge porn. Right. And then also, you know, people were taking scenes from pornographic films and they were editing in mainstream, you know, Hollywood actresses. Right 
into the films, you know, and that's not consensual. Those actresses don't want to be in those movies. And you know what? Maybe the adult entertainers don't want their bodies to be used with someone's face on top of them. That's another example of a bad use. But here, you know, you ha- you're going to have, with what Naughty America is doing, a completely consensual use of this technology. If you're a Naughty America subscriber, you can pay to customize your favorite film scene or get a completely customized new scene filmed and you can provide your own likeness, your own images, and they will use this technology to superimpose your image on top of one of the actors and it'll be completely on the up and up according to the uh, CEO of Naughty America who I spoke to. They will have consent not only from the uh, person paying for this service, but also from the adult entertainer. How much is this costing? You said they have to be members, but then you also have to pay to get this service also. There's no really exact price, but what but the price ranges from is from the hundreds to the thousands of dollars, Whoa. pretty much depending on how much work is involved. Right. If it's a fairly simple, superimposed face on top of something, or they could even change the backgrounds, things that you would normally maybe need a, a green screen to do. They can do it without having the need for that sort of thing. Really depends on how much customization is involved. And the CEO says that he's sees this as the next thing, the future, the personalization aspect of this is what people want. That's really the way I I think the entire internet culture is really going because so much is just available out there that in order to really grab someone's attention, you're going to need to customize it to that individual so they specifically feel like they're interacting with whatever it is they're watching. Not necessarily even have to to be an adult film. It can be any sort of form of entertainment, whether it be, you know, an article they're reading or a YouTube video they're watching, a song they're listening to, a podcast they're subscribed to. (laughs) And it's so interesting, you know, porn has often been a big force in the adoption of new technology. The widely available use of the VHS tapes killed Betamax because of this stuff. Porn runs the internet right now. Online payments increased because people were using their credit cards online to pay for stuff. And uh, HD DVD got killed by Blu-ray because you can hold more storage and the porn companies went that way with Blu-ray. So, I mean, even this, you know, this deep fake technology, while it's had its ups and downs, could be pushed into the next limit if something like this really takes off. Right. And in speaking with the Nordic America CEO, he also doesn't even like that term deep fakes because it really was a term that sort of was created by these online communities that were creating this very specific thing where they were using the technology, the deep learning AI to create what amounts to fake imagery. And while the imagery is fake, you know, when someone is creating something, you know, creative and they're uh, manipulating like something in Photoshop or whatever, and they create a cool image, you don't necessarily say, look at this fake image I created. So I think what he's hoping to do is rewrite the terminology being used to describe this specific tech behind these deepfakes in order to say, listen, this is just another form of video editing or image manipulation, just like, you know, Final Cut or Premiere or Photoshop or Illustrator. You can do all sorts of things with it. It could be deepfakes. It could be inserting yourself in your favorite sex scene in an adult film. You could run the gamut with this. And it's not necessarily something that has to have this revenge porn, non-consensual way of putting someone in something they don't want to be involved in connotation to it. Well, we'll see what other creative ways and other new business models they will use this technology for. Matt Binder, reporter for Mashable, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.